0: Great to have you here this morning worshiping with us and coming to, as we have sung about, uh, the table. Um, You will know that you have a bulletin that was handed to you, hopefully on the way in. So if you want to take that out right now, it has an outline inside of it uh, called The Other Suppers, which is a series that we have been in over the past uh, month, Um, And the reason we call it the Other Suppers is because many of us understand the Lord's Table, we understand the Last Supper, but how about all the other suppers that happened before that Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. And uh, so that's what the series is about, mainly out of the book of Luke. Uh, But today we're going to be talking about the main supper, the main meal That is the Last Supper. And uh, we're going to get to drill kind of down a little deeper on that here today before we take these elements together. Uh, It's been called the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, uh, the Eucharist, uh, Communion. Um, All of it refers back to this meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. Uh, And it's kind of special to realize that as you're here today best estimates, you're joining about a billion people in the world today who's going to observe the Lord's table. And you count all the Catholics around the world and all the Protestants around the world and here in America as well, about a billion people will come to this table to observe what Jesus has done for us. And so my hope and my drive here right at the beginning of this message is to encourage you to fight the familiarity of it. If you've been coming here to First Baptist for years, you know that we do this every six weeks or so, every two months, every other month, something like that. Fight the normalcy of that. Fight the complacency and, oh, it's just another time to come and observe the Lord's Supper, okay? It's a little wafer, it's a little juice. Fight the familiarity of what that actually means. And be here, be present. This last... um, Uh, Thursday, Friday, I was privileged to get to take my staff to a retreat up in the Sacramento area at Bayside Church. And um, it's a wonderful leadership conference for many different areas of leadership and ministry. Uh, They also have uh, great speakers in their sessions, wonderful, wonderful uh, 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 worship time. Um, And they also, for the past four or five years, have always give all the participants ice cream. And We knew it was coming. I, I, I called when it was going to come as well. Uh, the years before, they'd actually floated some of the ice cream down from the rafters on little parachutes. So they had tied the Haagen-Dazs kind of ice cream cups down, and they would float it down to the participants. It was like, ah, oh, manna from heaven, you know, that kind of feel of, of the ice cream coming. So I knew it was coming. And I was sitting beside my wife, and and here it came. They actually copped out this year. They said, we ran out of ideas, so we're just going to give it to you. And so it was, okay, great. And it was this Haagen-Dazs on a stick. And so, you know, you got the Haagen-Dazs stick, and you got it dipped in chocolate, right? And so it's got that hard, crunchy uh, outside and that vanilla inside. And so I was sitting beside my wife, and, and I crunched into that first bite, and it was like, oh. Oh, glorious ice cream. And there was something in there. I don't know what it was per se. But but my wife leaned over and she said, what is in this? Because it had like these ribbons of caramel like wafting through the ice cream. And it was like, wow. And, and, and we, we, we had forgotten what good ice cream tastes like, right? I mean, we've been buying cheap ice cream or we've been making these you know, you fool yourself to, uh, hey, it's fruit. No, it's not ice cream, right, kind of thing. And, uh, oh, no, this was real ice cream. It's like, oh, wow. And so today, as you come to this time of teaching, and as you come to this passage, and many of you, as you come to this table, fight just that familiarity of, okay, yeah, it's just ice cream. Okay, yeah, but, but appreciate it for what it is. That it's the elements we talk about, the body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, given for you and for me, that has changed everything, if you're a believer, about how you live today. Passages out of Luke chapter 22. Let me jump right in in verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. He said, follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. She said, Prepare it there. And then he went and found it just as he had been told, uh, they have been told, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, as we have been singing about. And the apostles with him. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. All right, so what's, what's going on here? Let's drive down, drill down a little deeper into the day and the time. About 33 years after the turn of the clock and Jesus is alive in first century Palestine. He's gathered in an upper room and now Luke tells us what they did. And in Luke's account, you could go back and count them, five times he mentions the Passover. So you have it mentioned in in verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 11 and verse 13 and in verse 15 and so it's so important to remember okay why is luke emphasizing this because it ties into the larger context of what's taking place and so first century listeners or readers of this probably would have known what elements were going on there but oftentimes you know 20 centuries later 21 centuries later we don't remember we don't get it so let me tell you what's taking place what was the passover and what was happening at that place well Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples as they would have at every year this time. The disciples probably would have done it with their families. Jesus would have done it with with his family up until a certain time where he says, I want to now do it with you guys, just us together. So the first thing to remember is that at a traditional Passover meal as they remembered this, as they celebrated this, was that there was assigned seating by honor. So the head of the household, or the one giving the Passover meal, would be at the head of the table. And then the seating pattern would be given by honor. If it was done within the family, then it would be done by age of family participants. But if it was done within a community of people, then that was done, the honor was given, uh, an honor of social standing or of importance that you were in the community. Now... Let me get back to that point in just a bit. Let's transition on that. But there's a very interesting teaching point with that in mind. But let me go to the next part. After the seating around the table, there would be a prayer. And then there would be follow that would be followed by a first cup of wine that was passed around. Now, in all, there are going to be four cups. You're saying, oh, I've never heard of the four cups going on. Traditional Passover meal would have four cups that are passed. And the first one would be a cup of blessing or someone called a cup of deliverance that was given. And so this cup of blessing was given. There would be a prayer that would be prayed over, asking the Lord to bless their time together. And then that was followed by bitter herbs that were sent around the table to all the participants. Uh, it would either be like, like, you know, think of parsley, think of basil. And these bitter er- these herbs would be dipped into vinegar or into salt water. And then they were eaten as a reminder that sometimes life is bitter. That there are bitter moments in life. Which, again, that is so important to have that in mind. Because specifically here in America, we have churches that might try and teach about a prosperity gospel... This prosperity gospel that, you know, all of your financial needs are all taken care of, all of your health needs are all taken care of, can we just say those are not, even when you're walking with the Lord, those are not always taken care of, right, the, 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 the health needs. I'm a living example of that from this last week. This last week on Monday, I woke up on Monday morning with the room spinning, and I was the first one up, and so I got up out of my bed. I walked about five steps, and I crashed on the bench that's at the end of our bed. I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. This had never happened to me before. I made my way out to the living room because I often stretch, just to kind of stretch my back out. And I laid there for three minutes doing it and became very, very nauseated. I ran back, crawled really back into the room, went down on the bed, and I said, something is off. I, ha- I have a, a, a wife uh, for a nurse, a nurse, nurse for a wife? Is that, is that the best way to say it? I, I married her because she's my wife, not my nurse. But, but you know, they come together, all <laughs> right? And so immediately, you know, she's got the wash rag on my head. She's kind of taking my temperature. She's checking my pulse and all these kind of things. What's going on here? She immediately got me into the doctor, which... You know what? Okay, that's just what nurses do, right? They want to get you taken care of real quickly. And found out that it was a case of vertigo. Um, Just woke up kind of dizzy that way. Said it might take a couple of weeks to totally wear off. So if I'm like listing this way, you'll know what's going on up here, right? Um, But I I, I feel fine to be doing this um, and to be teaching here. But I was not expecting that to happen on Monday morning. I preached up here last Sunday that some of you would wake up and feel bad sometime this week. I did. I remember, I went back to my notes, I looked, that some of you would be having complications and struggles, I would be the one to come visit you at the hospital if you were in, I was not expecting me to be in there, okay, I did not pray for that, I prayed for you to be there, and I would come and see you, (laughs) All right. We know health is not always great, Uh, we're not always healed physically, that time is not here yet, in the future it will be there where we have no sickness, but not now. We know bitterness comes, complications, things happen. Life is bitter. Some of you may be in that right now where you're sensing, you know, things are not going real well. Finances, with a relationship, within your marriage, whatever that may be. Life can give you bitter moments. And so these herbs were passed around at the meal to remind the disciples, to remind people who were taking this traditional uh, Passover meal or the Seder, that bitterness happens in life, to remind them as well that the Israelites were 400 years in captivity, 400 years they were oppressed by Pharaoh before God did a miracle and brought them out. And so it's important to remember, bitterness is not the main course. Don't get stuck there. That's just a part of the meal, but it's not the main course. We'll have that element, but it's not the main course. After those herbs were passed around, the youngest or the one in the least uh, at the end of the table of least importance would know that it's their cue to say, Why is this night different from all the other nights? And the person would say, On all the other nights we eat leavened or unleavened bread, but tonight we only have unleavened bread. He would say, Why is this night? different that we eat only bitter herbs and all the other nights we eat many herbs he would say why on all the other nights when we eat supper we eat meat roasted or stewed or broiled why tonight only roasted meat and then the head of the household would take that opportunity to explain and tell the story of the israelites Now, the Israelites came out of captivity. actually take the story all the way back to Abraham and tell the story from Abraham up to Moses and how Moses then brought the Israelites out of the desert. And, And can't you just imagine the gleam that would perhaps be in the eye of Jesus? when I'm jumping ahead in the story here, but when he is going to be sharing that he is that deliverer now, when he is the one who is going to step into the story, but not yet. Jesus would have then probably shared verses out of Exodus chapter 6. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you want to look there. Actually, don't go there. It's a far jump. Look up on the screen. Let's read this together. Here's what the head of the table would recite or tell the people at the meal. In fact, would you read it with me? Let's read it together. Go. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." And so that verse was shared as a reminder of what God did for the Israelites so long ago. And that verse then led into talking about the Passover, of how the plagues came upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and yet Pharaoh did not free the uh, Israelites until the Passover happened, which is the teaching about Pharaoh the land being told that if they did not let the Israelites go, that uh, uh, the firstborn would all be killed. Um, but God instructed the Israelites to take uh, uh, blood and to uh, put it onto the doorposts and the top of the doorways. And uh, the death would go around that house and would not um, kill those who were in that kind of a household. Um, And so the Israelites are well versed in this, they're reminded of this, and as Jesus was celebrating, he would have shared out of Exodus chapter 6. We today, if you want to read about what that speech would be about, Stephen tells it very well in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 38. Um, uh, All the details even we know about the meal, about the unleavened bread, how the Israelites were supposed to not even prepare bread that would rise uh, with the yeast because they had to be ready to go at a moment's notice, Um, and then the spotless lamb that would be killed. And of that spotless lamb that the blood would be on the doorposts and the top of the door um, so that the angel of death would not kill the firstborn within that household. In fact, what they would do is they would take it and they would kind of daub it on the top of the f- door frame and then on the sides. In fact, would you do this with me? Raise your right hand. Okay, raise your right hand. Okay, act like you have that kind of that uh, parchment or that uh, cloth that would daub it on the top, on the right, and then the left. Okay, do it with me, okay? Top, the right... And the left. This kind of looks neat from up here, if you're watching. like, Okay, top, one more time. Top, the right, and the left. You know, as you come across there, what, what kind of a shape are you actually making? Kind of a cross, isn't it? And again, can you imagine the chills that the disciples would have had as later they put this all together, that Jesus went to the They didn't have a clue what Jesus was really working into the story here. They'll find out more in just a bit. But later, to reflect on this? And understand how Jesus becomes that spotless lamb. Well, the Passover meal would continue on. They would sing a hymn. You can even read in Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. Many um, theologians believe that those could have been the words that the disciples would have sung together with Jesus. And then a second cup was passed around. And this cup was called the cup of emancipation. Where then after that cup was drunk from, the spotless lamb is served, the the animal that is killed is served, and then bread is broken, and bread is passed around the table to the disciples. Now, up to this point, Jesus is not doing anything different than a traditional Passover meal. However, now, Jesus kind of flips the script. Look at 22, let's see, Luke 22, verse 19. It says, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, and then he says, this is, what does he say? This is what? My body, which is given t- for you, do this in remembrance of me. Of, of, of who? Of, of me. Now, it doesn't say the disciples question on that. I'm sure in their minds they're thinking, okay, this is a little bit off, but Jesus, we're going with you. But this is the place where the monumental change is now taking place. Do this in remembrance of me. So then the third cup was passed, and that cup is now a cup of redemption. And you can see that cup that follows in verse 20, where it says, And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So this cup was taken after the supper, which represents the blood of the lamb. But Jesus is now comparing that to himself and saying, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's given for you. And, and Jesus isn't talking about a lamb that was 1,400 years ago slain so that the uh, Israelites could come out of Egypt. He is now talking about himself. And we see where John even refers to this in John chapter 1, verse 29, where John introduces, in fact, John the Baptist introduces Jesus by saying, behold, the, what's the words up here? Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John, who was at this meal, wants to emphasize that at the very beginning of his writing to say, this is what Jesus is going to do for us one day. And and by the way, I wish I could go into this so much deeper, but there's one cup that doesn't get drunk, drank. Is it drunk or drank? Drink, Makes you drunk, right? No, drink, okay, okay. We'll go drink. One cup doesn't get it. That's the cup, the fourth cup, which is called the cup of completion. In fact, you can see that in verse 18, where it says, "For I will tell, uh, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It, it, the completion is not there. Some of you may have been scratching your heads on this over years and saying, you know, okay, there's this cup up front, and then Jesus kind of says this, I'm not going to drink of this again, and, and they celebrated this second and this third cup. It, it, that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to finish this last one until I come back for you. That's when we get to do it together, when the kingdom of God ultimately comes. And so we live today between the third and the fourth cup. That Jesus has not taken the last one. He does that when we come back, or when he comes back for us. And when he comes back for us, then we get to celebrate that. And that's, that's a confusion for many people because they think, you know, life should be good. Life should be perfect. Our bodies should be renewed. We should be whole and strong and all that. No, that's coming in the future. Not here yet kind of reminds me of the Amish father and his son who were at the mall and and they were amazed uh, at everything that they saw. You know, they don't do a lot of technology and such. Um, And they were especially amazed at the mall at these two shiny doors that would open and close, open and close, these kind of these silver walls that would move apart and then they would shut, um, slide back together. And the boy asked his father, he said, Father, what is this? And the father says, I have never seen anything like this, son. He had never seen an elevator before. He said, I don't know what this is. And just at this moment, an older woman came up in her wheelchair, and she wheeled herself up to the doors, and she pushed a button. She's older, in a wheelchair, gray hair, kind of obese. She she wheeled herself when the doors opened into this little room, and the doors shut. The Amish dad and his son were just amazed at this. And they looked up and they saw these little buttons up above go from one to two to three to four to five. And then it went from five to four to three to two to one. They're sitting there just kind of looking and spellbound. And as the last number hit one, the doors opened back up. And there was a gorgeous 24 year old blonde who stepped out of the elevator. And the father, not taking his eyes off of the woman, said quietly to his son, Go get your mother. <laughs> that will happen one day for all of us, right? When we get back up to heaven, when God comes for us again, we'll be renewed, we'll be restored, we'll, or we'll have our perfect bodies in place. I don't know how old we will be, but that probably won't even matter. But maybe at the place where you were in, in the best shape of your life, that will be your body once again that you will be able to enjoy. But until that time when he comes for us again, we're gathering disciples And Jesus is saying, bring, bring them, more disciples around the table. And one day, one day around that table, we'll enjoy that meal with Jesus. And Abraham will be there. And Isaac will be there. Moses will be there. David will be there. Joshua, Jeremiah, some of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. Peter will be there. My parents will be there. My wife's parents will be there. My grandparents on both sides of the family, thank God, will be there. I never saw my grandmother from my dad's side walk. She, she had MS before. I, I remember being four years of age or so, and she was in a wheelchair, and I built a puzzle on her lap. There was a board they put across her wheelchair, and I remember building that with her. That's a, really the only memory that I have of her. But one day, she'll get up from that table, and she'll be walking. She'll be standing. Some of your relatives will be there. Others, maybe not. That's why you're still praying for them. But one day, one day when Christ comes for us again, we'll be invited to that table, and that will be the greatest feast that we will ever have. And no one will be around that table. Understand this. No one will be around that table because of anything that they have done. It will all be because of what has been done for us, of Jesus going to the cross. Because when Jesus went to the cross, what he became is he became the one who blesses, as the first cup talks about. He became that deliverer. He became the one that sets us free. He becomes the one that redeems us. He now is the one that will bring completion into our lives when he comes back for us. And none of that is brought to you because of the goodness of your lives or things that you can do, but only by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior in your life. Admitting that you have sin. Admitting and understanding and realizing, yes, bitterness is a part of our life. Sin happens and we all are fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin we need to believe that God sent His Son to this world to die for our sins. Believe that he came as the penalty for that sin in our lives and then commit our lives to follow him. Admit, believe, commit. Admit, believe, commit. The cross, and not just the cross, but the redemption, the resurrection brings about that redemption, that changes everything. The cross changes it all. I mean, think about this. Today, today, one billion people celebrating the Lord's table, taking those elements today. Many across the entire world, you will see cross after cross after cross after cross after cross. In the ancient world, particularly here in America as well, you'll see some. Some of you today are wearing crosses on a necklace. Some of you have cross earrings. Maybe some a, a pin or a lapel something on your wallet, your purse. We have crosses. Why in the world would we have that? That's a a sign of torture. That was a torture mechanism back in the uh, Roman era, the first century. Christ came and he flipped that script. He changed it all. He turned that into the redemption of the world. And that's what Jesus is now doing In the midst of this Passover meal for his disciples, he is flipping things on them. He's saying, now it's me. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood that's given that shed. This is a new covenant. And they're saying, what? We're not sure about this. How does this all work? But okay, we'll keep walking along. Now watch this. Your life, because of the cross and the resurrection... Is now called to be different you don't walk into this place hear the teaching and then walk back and live how you used to live we come in here understanding what God is trying to get into our lives and maybe he's sending it right now in that voice message right now that's coming along here someone's got that answer that all right thank you we hear that and then we go and we leave and we're changed because now, watch what happens here with the disciples. Very interesting thing takes place. The text goes on to. Jesus, Luke wants us to live differently, and so watch what happens here. Go to verse 24. Luke 22, verse 24 says, A dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. How does that happen at this meal? You know, Jesus is like teaching about, I'm going to change the world. And all of a sudden, a dispute, I'm going to save the world. A dispute comes up from the disciples. Who's greater? I'm greater. No, you're greater. It's like one of them stuck his tongue out at the other one and be like, I'm greater than you. That's basically what's going on here, right? I, I, I mean, look at verse 24. It says, a dispute arose among them, saying, who's the greatest? How does that conversation begin You know how it begins? Because of the seating order. Now, we don't know exactly if Jesus sat them in order, but I'll guarantee you each and every one of those disciples knew where they were at the table. And I bet you they were elbowing for room to get up to the higher place. 1 through 12, where am I? Oh my gosh, I'm number 8. There's no way I'm a number 8. I should at least be number 4. Right? Okay, yeah, you know, Peter, James, and John, they went up to the Mount Transfiguration. I will always be jealous of that. They got there. Okay, I won't be in the top three. That's all right, but give me four through eight. I do not want to be nine, ten, or eleven, or (laughs) twelve. That's what's taking place here. And Jesus senses this. He hears this. This is not just something that just happened. He hears this and he says to them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those in authority over those or them are called benefactors. Now watch this, verse 26, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who what? It's one who serves. So, last at the table, he'll be first. First at the table, go last. Jesus is flipping this on them. He's like, what? I mean, do you ever wonder, you know, in other Gospels, that conversation is mentioned elsewhere, but no, it's right here. And John says that Jesus got down and took off his outer robe clothing and washed his disciples' feet. Why? Because they were talking about it. He says, I'll show you. I'll show you what this means. I'll show you what you're really supposed to do. Let me, let me keep flipping the table on you. Let me show you what this means. See, with the cross, what Jesus was going to go to the next day, but the cross takes care of us, the sin problem. Now, we all instinctively have. In the modern world, we today want to ignore the sin." We today want to ignore that we even have that. In the ancient world, they would have probably said, okay, yep, bitterness is a part of our lives. There is this sin, this issue, but we'll try and take care of it on our own. And that's where Jesus comes in and says, no, it's me. It's my blood. My blood will pay for you. Why blood? Why why does that need to be the payment? Well, that was the payment in the Old Testament. But think about this now someone has to pay for it, right? I mean, God, could, could, could God have just waved his arms over the situation and said, sin taken care of? Well, God can do anything, so I guess he could have, but here's the reason I believe why God allowed blood to be shed and in this way. Let's say today you go home from church, and as you get home, um, your best friend comes by with a brand new shiny car that they have just bought, And they invite you to go out for a little spin in the neighborhood with you. And you bring in some coffee. Or even worse, maybe you have something sharp in your pocket. And you sit down in that car. And you're like, hey, that was so much fun. And you get up and you tear the leather seats. About five inch, just shred the thing. You're like, oh, can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. What's your best friend going to say to you? If they're nice, they're going to, you know, say, I, I, that's, that's all right. You know what I mean? What are they going to do? Make you pay for like $3,000 with a seat or something like that? They're probably going to be that's all right. That's all right. You know, I got insurance or something like that. We'll take care of it. Something like that. Well, let's say they show up a couple weeks later and that's all been repaired. Somebody had to take care of that. Somebody had to do something to make that Right. And I would guess that if that happened and you didn't take part in helping make that come about, you in your mind would probably think, i am always kind of be in debt to them. I'm going to live as a debtor of sorts. I'm going to be feeling bad about doing that to their car, even though they said, that's okay. I forgive you. It's all right. Somebody's got to pay for it. And that's where God sent Jesus in there to say, here's the payment. It's taken care of. It's done. You no longer have to live as a debtor. He has done it for you. That's the good news of the gospel. That's in place for you. And so Jesus now comes to the table with his disciples. And he enacts in a meal what they should remember. Symbolically saying, I'm the lamb of the world now coming to take away the sins of the world. For you and the meal, I, I think it's kind of neat, it's kind of special because, um, they personally had to receive that meal. I mean, Jesus couldn't have eaten it and then said, Oh, yeah, I feel full. No, they had to each take it on their own. I can't eat the food for you, you have to take it on your own. You have to personally receive it. And so, as we come to this time of the table and remembering the elements, that's what. The invitation is to all of you. You're invited to the table of the Lord as we just sung about. And so, as these trays are passed, there'll be a slot that has actually two cups in it. Grab that cup. It feels like one, but there's two there, and there will be juice in the one cup. There'll be bread in the other one. If it's a little stuck, you can just kind of twist it just a shade. That'll come. It'll separate. Hold those elements together. Contemplate on those elements together. Don't just do it out of familiarity. Do it out of remembering what Jesus did for you. Hold them in your hands, looking at them, feeling them, touching them. It's a meal that Jesus gave to us to be received. And yet, if you're here today and you have not received the Lord into your life, then I would say let the elements go. And I'll tell you why. In Scripture it says, this is for disciples. These are for people who are walking in the ways of the Lord, that have already received Jesus into the life, because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. If you can't remember a time when you received the Lord, then it's not for you. However, we want this to be for everyone, because as we sang in the song, the invitation is for everyone. And so right now, as we prepare our hearts, all of those who are disciples here, you're preparing one way. Those who are not yet, we'll prepare another way. In fact, there's an invitation to you. Because I want every one of you, the Lord wants every one of you, to also partake of these elements. And so let's take care of that right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. You know, as you are searching your heart and contemplating what Jesus did for you so long ago, as I said, those of you who know Jesus and have received him into your life, you're preparing, you're kind of... Meditating upon God's word, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and into your life, and there be things, sin, things that you just need to kind of get out, to confess, and use these moments now, thanking the Lord for his forgiveness, remembering what he did for you. But let me just kind of speak to you who are not believers yet. Today, you are not here by accident. Whether it be a friend who invited you, or you've been coming for a while, and just feeling like, okay, this is now the next step that I'm supposed to be here on May 6th. You're not here by accident. Today is decision day. And today is a day that God invited you to come to his table. A table that has been prepared for you by what Jesus did on the cross. Of shedding his blood for you. Of giving his body, having it broken for you. to Become that sin Sacrifice. And as we remember what that act is, we also know that Jesus asked us to personally receive in faith that understanding that He is God's Son. God's Son who went to the cross to die for us. So to believe in faith that yes, Jesus is the Son of God, but also to believe and understand that He is the one that has taken away the sin of the world. And today, if you don't ever remember exactly when you did that, but you are sure today you want in on this feast. You know that life is filled with sin. You know that life is bitter, but you know that heaven will come one day. You want in on that. Then let me encourage you, because it's a love relationship to have with God. A love relationship with his son Jesus, where Jesus came and gave his life for you. And so for each of us, he's asking personally, do you receive this meal? Do you receive me, the bread of life? So if you've not made that decision yet, in the quietness of your own heart, if you're ready to take that step of faith, it would be saying, Lord Jesus, I invite you today to come into my life. Lord Jesus, I do believe that you are the pen- sin penalty that's been paid. Jesus, today I'm committing my life. Jesus, today I'm taking that step of faith receive you and you know you might not understand everything about what that means but you know enough you know enough and god sees your heart that when these elements now come by you also are invited to partake of them because you're one of the disciples you're one of the followers now of jesus god we thank you for allowing all of us to come who believed and so as we now do that i thank you that um, we can remember. We can remember your death, your burial, your resurrection. We can remember and we can also look forward to understand where we one day will be when the Feast of Feasts are given to us. But Lord, until that time, we will remember you with this cup and with this bread. And we thank you for your blessings on us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.